Welcome to Celestial Small Talk with Alice and CJ. Celestial Small Talk refers to the big ideas, profound revelations, and deep connections that are created in the briefest of encounters. It is often in these moments that an imperceptible shift in thought can bring about the biggest change, helping us to more fully embody our intuition. We strive to inspire, illuminate, question, provoke, and spark the unique constellation within. Hello and welcome back to Celestial Small Talk. We are recording this episode on a Gemini new moon, so I'm very excited because I love this air moon with so much social energy, conversation, very intriguing to me. I'm very excited to get started. We have our very special guest today, and I'm going to let CJ introduce this person. Hi, everyone. I am thrilled to have a former colleague and friend, Ron Ginyard, with us today. Ron and I worked together for eight years at St. Stephen's and St. Agnes School. Yeah, we started in the same year, Ron. I don't know if you remember back when you were a gym teacher and I was a 50% French teacher. Um, And then Ron has made his transition um, out of the classroom and into admissions for the middle school at St. Stephen's and St. Agnes. And once I actually left the community, he and I um, sort of stayed in touch uh, once I talked to him a little bit about my personal and professional endeavors with empowering educators. So he is someone who is a very thoughtful human being. And I just knew that bringing him on, sharing his voice with our listeners would be really powerful. So Ron, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Alice. Thank you, CJ. I really appreciate that introduction. Uh, And CJ, it's really challenging to think that uh, we worked together for eight years. And uh, that means I've been here uh, for 10. So I've worked here for a decade. uh, And it feels like a really short period of time. And it also feels like a very, very long period of time as well. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing what changes in 10 years. So we normally get started with a, a question, but I, I wanted to just set the stage for a moment because I lit a love candle. And when I think of love, I kind of think of all the forms that it takes. And when we infuse sort of our words with love, thinking about how that can sort of radiate out to those who hear it. So just take a nice deep breath in and exhale it out. May love enter my life and fill my heart and soul. May the magic of love always inspire me to radiate warmth and caring to all those who touch my life. Breathe in and exhale. So we are here today to kind of just delve into what is on your heart and mine, Ron. Um, We didn't really settle on anything specific. So I invite you to just uh, talk about kind of what's been going on in your life and what would you want us to explore together? I'm excited about the timing of this because the last two weeks in April, uh, I spent that entire time in Assisi, Italy, and it was just a magical, majestic, uh, really incredibly peaceful experience. And I witnessed an incredible amount of joy uh, because I was staying in a convent, uh, which going into the experience, I was anxious and excited about. I uh, had no concept of what living 
in a convent might be like. Uh, so I was interested in it and also hoping that I'd be able to manage it and navigate it. And then also I was with a group of individuals who I had never met other than maybe some really short introductions over Zoom. And I was by two decades, the youngest individual on this trip. And so there are individuals from all over the country, um, all over the world, Canada, Nicaragua, Korea, Germany, uh, most of the folks were from various parts of the United States. Uh, so being young and also not knowing what being in a convent would be like uh, did provide some anxiety for me. Uh, but one of the things that I realized by taking this trip uh, was that none of those things mattered. <laughs> I made all those things important going into the trip and none of them mattered. And we were really able to make some really deep connections. And we did so really through a couple of things. One, just realizing that simple life is liberating, um, living in a convent for two weeks and having uh, really absolutely none of the comforts that I've grown accustomed to having here in the United States. And all of that was really, really liberating. It was, it was wonderful to not have a phone, to not have the internet, to not have a news cycle, to gosh, so, so many different things, not have to worry about what I was eating or where I was going out to eat. You know, everything was really, really simple. And as a result, I would say it was a lot more joyous. The nuns I was around were some of the happiest people I have ever met in my life. They, oh man, I missed them. I want to go back and I want to be with them. They were just really, really happy. And they'd all given up so much, like given up their lives and their families. And they'd come from 10 different countries, Zambia and Australia, just from everywhere. So it was really incredible to see so much joy around people who were so simple in the way that they lived their lives. And it also had sacrificed so many different things. It's hard to put anything on the category of the birth of children. But it's in that category of one of the top three things, experiences of my life. It, it was pretty special. Oh, that brought up so many things for me. Uh, my best friend is actually about to go into a two years program where he live up in a mountain with a monk and he's going through a meditation training. He wants to be a meditation therapist. I guess that's how um, they word it. He would have to give up his very well-paying job. He would have to leave his family, two young kids to pursue this passion. And he, this was not an easy decision for him to make. So I think you could probably relate to that. This is just more important than anything else to him to be able to achieve inner peace and be able to like help other people eventually achieve inner peace. And I think this is very inspiring what he's doing. I still need to learn a lot from that. Lots and lots of things from that. One of the things that you were mentioning, which is like the shift of perspective and what matters and what doesn't. Um, I recently found a story of the singer Nightbird and I I'm really sad that I didn't find her earlier. So she was on America's Got Talent and um, she had this gorgeous piece of music. The song is called It's Okay. And her performance just moved me in ways that I couldn't, I can't explain. And then we found out that she had cancer and she had like cancer in her lungs, her liver, her spine, and she had 2% chance to survive, but she still just went all the way 
got on that stage, got a golden buzzer. Like she's like, you can't wait until life isn't hard anymore to start being happy. And that just like, oh, it was like a slap in the face for me. It's like, what are you whining about? (laughs) (laughs) It's so not that hard to be happy. You just choose to suffer in the cycle that you create yourself. And that was a big lesson for me this week. I'm I'm jealous of your friend who's going to be going up into the mountains. On two of the days that I was in Assisi, we visited two of St. Francis's hermitages that were built during the time that he was alive. And while he was alive, they were basically like these caves that were tucked into the mountainside. And what an incredibly peaceful environment to be that high, right? You're really sitting underneath the clouds, literally, and looking out over the valley of the uh, Assisi and Umbria area there in Italy, which was amazing. The other thing that was interesting about those two days is that they were mandatory silent days. And so we had to hike, uh, maybe round trip on each day uh, was about six to seven miles. Uh, So the hike in silence and then the time up on the mountain in silence was really moving. I was surprised by how many emotions I was able to cycle through by hiking and being silent. Uh, At first, you know, and I've spent many silent moments. I love camping, but to do it in community with other folks who are also silent brought up emotions I just wasn't expecting. And I found myself crying while walking up the mountain and crying while walking down the mountain and taking a little while to realize, well, what exactly am I crying about? And what emotion is coming? Where is this coming from? And what moment in time am I sort of traveling back to? But it's such a reminder that uh, we don't spend enough time uh, dealing with the emotions of events that we've experienced. Um, And truthfully, we just need the silent time to be able to do it. So I'm jealous of your friend and I'm happy for him. I, I think it's going to be a wonderfully peaceful experience for him. And thinking about that song you mentioned and, and the person who wrote it and sang it, there to me is a lot of joy in our suffering. And I think too often, uh, because we avoid our suffering, uh, we don't realize that if we actually sat with it and experienced it and traveled through it, uh, that the joy is on the other side of it. And that inner peaceful feeling comes from tears and it comes from the laughter that comes afterwards and the hugs that are necessary when you go through it because we recognize that we need one another in order to get through this life we have to suffer in order to realize that unfortunately but it's also just part of the human experience and the more we allow it the more joy we have and the more inner peace we have so those are interesting processes i think that too often we avoid Yeah, immediately when you brought up this idea of, you know, not having the phone and any sort of news cycle and realizing the freedom that comes from not being distracted and how much that opens up space to receive, you use language. It just moved me when you were like, what time am I transporting myself back to? And how can I move through this moment? Because what you're emphasizing is the fact that we stay stuck with these distractions and we stay stuck in these feelings of fear of expansion and fear of growth. Because for most of us, we never had 
someone really model or say like, it's okay to feel good. Like it's okay to cry. It's okay to feel helpless. It's okay to feel whatever it is you're feeling. And it's the prevention of those feelings from moving through you and from you processing those moments in time that we actually find the liberation. Um, and it was interesting because two different cards came out while you were talking um, and they're nice. Knights of each of the suits generally have to do with movement. And so I thought, like, how does this have to really do with what Ron's talking about? So we have the Knight of Pentacles, which is the suit of sort of earthliness, material goods, abundance, stability. And then we had the Knight of Wands, which has to do with fire and passion and creativity and inspiration. And it was towards the end when you were talking about the emotions that kind of came through your body in putting yourself through this physical exertion of going up a mountain in silence, like with your thoughts, it's you're, you're literally giving your body a chance to process these emotions. So you've allowed those to move through you or those thoughts to move through you. So that way you can come out saying, oh, I'm lighter. I am freer because I've allowed my body to physically process this. And then when I think of the Knight of Wands, I often think about lighting a spark to inspire others. And that's where I feel like you recounting this story is kind of exemplifying that where you're saying, hey, you know, it, it, it might seem scary to allow yourself to move through these emotions, but what could be possible if you were able to do that? Yeah. Wow. I'm thinking of a concept in Christianity and sure it exists in many other faith backgrounds and religions too. In my study of Christianity, what comes up often is the dark night of the soul. And, you know, those two cards speak very clearly to the power of night and how we are often very averse to traveling through the night. And it is actually really scary to step into that. And it can be heartbreaking. And there's always a light on the other side of that tunnel. What I have found is that it may be less that the light is on the other side of the tunnel. Uh, it may be more that the light is internally within us. And really the tunnel we're traveling is our own tunnel. And I have found when I get to the end of it, I can only stay there for a while because there's another tunnel coming. I got to keep going a little bit deeper so I can keep liberating myself. Really particularly, I love the image of fire. I enjoy being outside, as I mentioned earlier, and I camp all the time. And there's a central gathering spot, of course, when you're camping of a fire. And I like to describe my sort of inner journey a little bit of being on fire, but not burning. And that burning sensation of being on fire and that radiation of heat, that radiation of light, I think that's what inner peace can bring to us. It feels like my body's on fire. I can feel the warmth of it. And I can also feel at peace with it at the same time. And it brings a sense of responsibility. It brings a sense of service and that this is a feeling and experience that doesn't exist if it can't be shared. And so I, I want to do everything I can to share it. And Alice, I'm thinking about your friend who, who wants to share this piece with the world and wants to experience it enough for himself to be able to share it. And it's amazing how strong that feeling can be, so strong that he would separate himself from his family in order to be able to do it. There's definitely something to that burning sensation for sure. 
Speaking of fire and being on fire but not burning, um, you have a whole lot of fire in your chart, sir. You have your big three are three fire signs. Aries is your rising, your sun is Sagittarius, and your moon is Leo. You have all the fire energy concentrated in you. You are very passionate, action-oriented, energetic, courageous, enthusiastic, and optimistic. And when you said something about like it's really necessary to share with the world. That's your Leo moon. Leo is very much like, I want a platform. I need a platform to express all of this passion that I have, to have somebody to listen to what I have to say. Give me undivided attention and recognize that this is important. And I, I swear, I wrote this all before you even talked um, about this, but your Saturn is right like on the other side of your ascendant. So Saturn is very responsible, is very serious. And when it's opposite your ascendant, your ascendant is your area. It's very like direct. We'll get this done. And Saturn sort of like puts a little bit more responsibility on it. You feel responsible with the way you present yourself. You feel like it's how you present yourself to, to the world is very serious. This is not like something you take lightly. And I can, I can see that in all the things that you're talking about and it's represented very well in your chart. Wow. All that is incredibly accurate and kind of scary about how accurate it is, but it's fantastic. It, it's wonderful to hear it described that way. And the word courage is striking me. My daughter asked me what was the definition of that word over the weekend. Uh, and so we had a conversation about courage and a lot of the descriptions that you just went through, courage is so incredibly necessary. It, it's necessary to, to want a platform, to take responsibility for how I present myself. Um, and to really want to be able to do it well and to take it seriously, courage is a big deal there. So yes, indeed. Thank you. That was awesome. Okay. So this has come up a couple of times now, and now it's time for me to say something, but the word courage comes from the French word coeur, which means heart. Mm -hmm. And you were talking, Ron, about being sort of full of like heat and light. And I think of that as this idea of heartfulness. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about mindfulness and we know how important our thoughts are and how much they can create our reality. And being aware of our thoughts is such a necessary step along this healing journey that we have to keep doing over and over again, because we know that our thoughts are cyclical. And when they get stuck in those deep groove patterns, it takes a really long time to move through them. And what I feel sometimes can be the antidote to that is getting back into the heart space and just that little warmth that kind of comes, you know, right above your solar plexus, when you're, when you feel that connection, when you feel that passion, when you feel the presence of someone uh, authentically sharing, um, or, you know, creating something together. And when I think of heartfulness and courage, I think of, you know, how we share love in the world. And this comes back to the candle and the fact that you also in your bio say that you consider yourself a child of God, which is love um, and, and really finding sort of that sense of moving through life with this passion and, and this like very solid presence of I'm going to do this in a way that is going to affect others. Another card came out while you both were talking and it's the eight of cups. So cups has to do with water and emotions, relationships, and eights often have to do with sort of taking stock of like what's going on. And sometimes it means looking at something that's worked really good in your life and having to turn the other way 
away or, you know, go find something else. So the imagery on this card is of a person who looks like they are hiking at night away from a whole bunch of cups that are stacked up. And it looks like they're heading towards the mountains. And that really feels in alignment with what you were just talking about, both in terms of like your physical experience doing that, but then also kind of going through that dark night of the soul of, oh man, I've been through some stuff and I need to kind of reassess if all of this is really leading me to what I want in terms of expressing love to the world. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to, you know, not be distracted. I'm going to have to go find myself and move through this because that's the only way forward. I also think our lives, there's a cycle in that necessity where uh, there are times when we can be out in the world and be expressive and be fully present and be fully loving. And then I think there are times when we really just need to step away and to have an opportunity to sort of soul search again. I think that soul searching process is over and over and over again throughout the course of our lives. Um, We can do it once. And I think it brings new life to us uh, when we return from that. And then I think you live your life and then you have to go back to it again. Um, So I love that image because it'll be an image that gets repeated throughout the course of my life. And one of the hardest parts is there are times when things could be going really well and it's still time to walk away and it's still time to do some more soul searching there. That could be one of the hardest times to be able to walk away. What was stirring for me in what you just said was this part about when it's going well and you still have to take a step away. That would be very, very, very challenging. And I think that's what's happening with my friend um, because he had a great job, just got promoted right before he quit. It was just his life was quote unquote acceptable society, you know, to society. And this was like a crazy person would like step away from this, but he's just like, this is not working for me. This does not fulfill my soul. I feel like I meant to do more than this, than just to design elevators for casinos. So I think I'm going to go up to the mountain and find myself and redefine what it's like to live a meaningful life. I think to be able to have the insight to recognize that you need to walk away from things is not easy and then have the courage to actually do it is another layer to that too. So those are things that put sparked in me when you mentioned it. You know, CJ had mentioned earlier, I'm pulling two things together. Uh, one is uh, listening to our, to our inner voice, what, which your friend very clearly has done. You know, the challenge of doing that is that we live in a society where people don't do that. People don't listen to that voice. People ignore that voice. Uh, They silence that voice. And so it's such a challenge to do it in our society because it's really a radical thing. Uh, And anytime anyone does something radical in our society, it it takes tremendous courage. And I know that CJ and I have talked about listening to that inner voice and we've called it the inner child at times, Uh, but that voice is prevalent in all of us if we're all just willing to sit still for a moment to actually hear it and listen to it. And then the other thing, you know, CJ mentioned earlier was about love and this burning desire and how those, those two terms are, are equatable. It requires that level of love for you to have that level of courage to listen to that voice. That sensation is when I have felt it in its most intense form, it is overwhelming. And I almost feel like I need it to go away. I can't live like this. You know, I can't operate in my life with this feeling and it being this intense. 
I wouldn't be able to do my job. I wouldn't be able to be at home and be a husband. I wouldn't be able to be a dad because it, it completely leads me away from this world that we exist in. I can imagine, you know, if your friend has felt that and it, it gets to that stage where it's overwhelming, uh, you just need to do something about it. The courage almost becomes almost like a secondary issue uh, because I've got to do something about this feeling that I have and it's not going to go away. It's not going to leave me alone. Uh, so I need to do something about it. And so the courage in some sense, everyone else might be looking at you like you're crazy. And internally you're like, well, I'm not, I'm really not the crazy one. Everyone else is crazy. And I've got to figure out what I'm going to do about this feeling that I have. But that's a pretty lonely and radical place to be because as mentioned earlier, our world just doesn't operate that way. Yeah, I think the most important thing is to find like-minded people with whom you can connect about these things because the normalization of leaving it all behind or not ascribing to capitalism or, you know, really taking a radically honest look at what you are contributing to the world and how that might be different from what your heart's desire is. All of those are really big, scary questions, which I think goes back to this idea of courage is like, you can think something, you can also know something intrinsically from that inner voice, which maybe your child might be, your higher self might be, you know, God speaking through you. But when it is a voice that hasn't been allowed to be developed and hasn't been given sort of a space to grow and thrive, we hear so frequently that anyone who, you know, deserts their family or a marriage or a job or whatever it may be, you know, they're the radical ones. And, and that really comes from a place of fear of, of people not knowing how to do that work for themselves. So there's a sense of envy or jealousy, although that person gets to do it, but I don't get to do it. Like I remember Ron, you and I talking about how a comment was made to you that like, well, not everyone can be as calm as you are, Ron. And I always think about that because it's like, why not? Like, what is it that has been so ingrained in someone to think that they can't achieve the same level of peace and clarity and presence that you exude? You know, like I, I often describe you as like a gentle giant, Ron, because he's a very tall man, <laughs> but he's also like the, like you just, when you walk into a room and Ron's there, like, you know, that everything's like, okay, like you just exude this warm presence and people don't know what to do with that because they don't see that within themselves as being possible. And that brings up a lot of grief too, to say, you know, man, what is this world that we live in that is telling us that only certain people get to achieve this? And I, and I really feel like being able to have these opportunities for silence and reflection and processing, you know, whether it's through therapy or meditation or religious practice, that is, like you said, kind of the way forward. It's not necessarily like being in the dark or, you know, seeing the light on the other side. It's like, like lifting up your head and just looking around and saying, the light's been here this whole time. I have just put up some blinders to it, or I have put myself in the shade as a result of fear or, you know, someone telling me that I'm not good enough. And that's, you know, time to end. Like that is a radical thing to say, man, I get to like reclaim my place in the world and say, you know, I get to radiate out this love just as much as the next person does. Two cards that came out were the Ace of Swords and the Four of Pentacles. And I almost am seeing, so the Four of Pentacles kind of has this imagery of someone like hoarding, like holding something really close to them, not necessarily 
from fear, but there is like this, I guess, sense of like scarcity or like, this is mine. And then I almost see the sword as like cutting that free and being like, if I have gained this much wisdom and self-assurance and peace, it is not up to me to hold on to it. So that way I feel this experience all the time, but it's for me to say, oh, wow, this is something that needs to be shared. So if I cut this free from myself, I can share this with others in a, in a way that's simple enough to say like, you get to do this too. I don't hold the keys to this. I am not the gatekeeper of this, but what I can do is show you what might be possible for yourself. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So Alice, you did this earlier. I've done it too. I wrote down something that I sent in an email to a friend about a week ago. Um, so I'm going to read that in a moment. But the other thing that really stands out is the idea of a sword. But I was reading a book about Buddhism and about meditation. And the idea was that meditation could be visualized metaphorically as a sword, right? Um, it is a weapon and it is a weapon uh, utilized to cut through all the fear and gray area of our lives um, so that we can reach a point of peacefulness. Um, and so I constantly think about um, what are my weapons and what are my swords? Uh, and being out in nature is one, meditation is one, and fasting is one as well. Whenever I do any of those three things, all of the fear, all of the egotistical talk of, well, I can't do this, or I'm not worthy of this, or I shouldn't feel this good, or um, any of those things um, sort of fall away. You know, meditation and fasting and being out in nature make, make those things a lot easier and simpler for me. I really like this analogy of the sword cutting through fear. I think that's a major part of it. How it resonates with me is like detoxing. It's like you're getting rid of all these things that all the noises that are around you and all the noises in your head. And I absolutely adore the analogy of the light is already here. You just need to like get out from under the blanket where you feel comfortable, but you're not getting any light, right? I think that's really easy to understand, easy to conceptualize. I think that's really enlightening. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, and when um, CJ was talking about how you radiate love, that is very much the Venus opposite your moon in your chart. Um, your moon's in Leo and Venus is in um, Aquarius. And this represents that you have more love than people can receive. You have way more affection and compassion than people are ready to accept from you. I think that's pretty, uh, pretty cool. Wow. So these two descriptions, one from CJ and one from Alice, gosh, they just, they describe my experience like every day. There's a colleague that comes into my office almost every day. And about a week and a half ago, we went for a walk in Fort Ward Park, which is right here connected to our campus, which I know CJ remembers. And I asked this colleague, said I had to preface it because I knew he would take it down a different path. But I prefaced it by saying, I'm asking this question out of real genuine curiosity. I really want to know the answer to this question because I'm contemplating uh, what it might tell me about the interactions that I have with people. And I said, why do you come into my office every day? And I said, remember, I'm prefacing this. I'm not saying that you shouldn't come into my office every day or that you're annoying me in any way, but I'm curious, why do you come into my office every day? 
And all of what the two of you have described is sort of the answer uh, that he gave me. And then I had another question. Uh, there are some folks who have said to me, I wish I could spend more time in your office. And the truth is, most of those people never come into my office. So then the next question I continue to have is, well, why don't they come into my office? And of course, Alice, what you just described uh, may be one of those reasons why they don't come into my office. And so what has been somewhat of a challenge for me, uh, because uh, in my study of Buddhism, one of my favorite uh, sort of concepts from Buddhism is humility. And so I struggle with uh, what I know to be true and balancing that with a sense of humility. So I had this sort of new recognition or maybe a new acceptance of a recognition uh, that there is uh, an energy that I radiate and that people around me can sense it and can feel it. And so I am just constantly asking myself, well, what do I do with it? How do I help as many people as possible uh, get on their own journey and wherever that journey may lead them? Um, you know, CJ, you mentioned all the different words that can describe whatever it is that we know we can't describe, right? Um, whether that's love, whether it's God, whether it's the divine, uh, no matter what it might be, there's, there's so many different words for it. But my hope is that I can, I can help people want to get on their own journey and then experience it for themselves. Because I humbly believe that once it's experienced, it's really, really hard to walk away from. And so my hope is that more and more people can experience it so that they don't walk away from it. So we'll see. I have no answers. I keep asking questions, but I have no answers. <laughs> oh, but approaching life with curiosity is one of the pleasures of also being in an educational background. I think knowing that we sort of went into a school environment, knowing that we wanted to be around people who were forming young minds and around young minds that are being formed and being part of a community where it is aligned with sort of our values for what that might look like. And I just find it to be so interesting that your, your role is not spiritual advisor. You are not a chaplain. You are not a reverend, but, and yet people feel safe with you. Um, and that, that is some, you know, I, I heard the word humility and I was like, I'm a little outraged that like, we can't claim our truth. <laughs> if it's true, it's not bragging. Like if you're saying, I exude something that makes people feel safe to come sit with me, to, for people to feel safe to come talk with me. I engage in thoughtful discourse from a sense of curiosity and, and with this desire to take what I know to be true and help people on their own journey. That feels like a very powerful stance at a way, you know, going back to this idea of courage, of really kind of stepping into your own heartfulness, your own power, your own expression of divine love and community, because all of that is interwoven in what a community is, right? It's not, it's not one person who makes a community. It's every single person who has a part to play. And your part has been as an admissions advisor and as a coach and as a teacher. And now here you are kind of thinking about what 
else is possible with what you know to be true about yourself. And I find that to be really brave to stand up and say, you know, this is something I know that I do. And it comes from a place of authenticity and just, you know, pure love. So if I am around people who maybe can't accept it or can't receive it, how can I either teach them to receive it or find another way in which I can engage in this work that's going to be received? Yeah. I'm giggling. I'm laughing about a conversation I had with my uncle. Uh, we were talking about the experience that we both had. Uh, we both have friends who, who do this in public. You know, you, you could be walking anywhere. You could be anywhere. And you just see this individual uh, who is exuding so much joy that it makes you question, well, what is it that that person has going on that I don't have going on? Or is that person crazy? And that's why they're so happy. It's an interesting experience to go through. And I often have said to myself and have wondered to myself, because I, I keep asking this question, well, what can I do to help people want to accept it? And sometimes my answer is just continuing to be in their presence. And over time, I think the energy is sort of unavoidable. I think the energy is, is really difficult to deny over time. Right. And you know, CJ, you know, this person and, you know, he passed away in November, um, but Reverend Michael Henson, who was a chaplain here uh, for 30 years, uh, worked here for 30 years, um, he exuded that level of energy. And over time, you just kind of fall into it uh, and you almost have to fall into it and you have to allow it to impact you because it's hard to deny what really is just unexplainable. It really can't be explained. Um, so it's hard to use our, our English language or any other language to put a word to it, but you just feel it. And, you know, CJ, you talked earlier about how we move from the mind to the heart. Like this is an example of that. Uh, well, you can overthink it and overthink it. Uh, and then eventually you just sort of have to surrender and let go to it. And, and it kind of overtakes you a little bit. It means a lot to bring up uh, Michael because I always think that he's kind of here with us. And um, I did, you know, after he passed, I, I talked about his passing on the show um, because he had such a presence, you know, in terms of the space he was able to hold and the presence he had for our whole community. And when I think about your journey, Ron, and how you went on this program sort of at Michael's insistence, you know, and even before we started recording, I was like, you know, Michael's just up there so grateful that you went and did this because he saw something in you. Um, I'm just feeling a lot of gratitude for the mentors in our lives and the people in our lives who see something in us that we then can see in ourselves. Because uh, I think a lot of times the way society tells us to be or the institutions in which we work tell us to be or our families of origin tell us how to be, we might sort of stamp out or hide those innate gifts. And I think it's really a magical experience when you meet someone who can reflect to you. Do you know that you have this power? Do you know that you have this presence? Do you know that you have this skill? And to say, wow, you know, that just comes easily. I didn't know that that was something that would, would benefit others, but what would it be if all of us kind of were able to tap into whatever that innate thing was, you know, what would that do for our communities? Makes me think about the impact that we have um, in our, in our brief encounters, you know, 
on this planet with uh, divine uh, souls in human bodies or, you know, divine experiences in nature or, you know, in prayer and, and just feeling that as a as a reminder of like, we've got the guidance we need sort of all around us if we just listen in. And um, that can come from, you know, someone who is here and someone who has passed. And I think that it's really just special to hold on to those nuggets of wisdom and love that, that we have been shown from others. I have to say that insistence might be not strong enough of a word. When Michael was very adamant in his loving way. He was very adamant that I take this trip. And there is no question I felt him almost everywhere in Assisi, uh, almost everywhere. Uh, I had the courage to write his wife a, a postcard, a thank you note um, from Assisi, just to say that you know, I'm here because uh, Michael told me to be here. And I still can't describe how he was able to see in me what I was not able to see in myself, but he definitely had a an ability to do that for so many individuals in our community uh, that he could just sort of peer through your window a little bit uh, and and see almost like he was looking into your mirror for you and seeing that reflection and then reading it back to you. Uh, and that that's an incredible gift, uh, an incredible gift to be able to do that. Uh, I wonder what kind of sort of self journey and process it requires to be able to do that for so many different people. I remember writing uh, many different times, but I, I think for sure I wrote this to, to his wife and to his kids. You know, Michael was the epitome of unconditional love as much as you could see it because it's not possible to see, but I felt like I could see God when I looked into his eyes. And that's a pretty powerful experience. Wow, I really wish I'd known him, but I feel mm. like I I feel like I do somehow just by the way you talked about him. This is exactly why we have these conversations, right? Because we all have impacts in each other's lives in many different ways. And like you said earlier, CJ, we might not know it. We might not know what we mean to each other. And I think it's important to share these things when we could still hear them and uh, continue to talk and share the wisdoms that we learn from each other to the rest of the world as the best we can. One of the things that I noticed in your chart is that you have your sun conjunct Neptune and Mercury. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because it is something that I feel, and you obviously don't need my permission, but it's something that you should continue tapping into. You are a visionary. You are creative. You are very ethereal, just spiritual in, in ways that's beyond this world. And that's a gift. You have visioned way past the existing realm. And that is something that is a gift. Maybe because of that, people, even though they want to be in your presence, they're afraid to because they you know that you see through them. <laughs> Yeah. Are you by chance a poet or a musician? <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. This is really funny. So I would never describe myself as a poet. I would also never describe myself as a musician. And uh, this past Christmas, uh, my wife, Therese, at my behest, purchased for me a guitar. So I've been learning to play the guitar. It is really hard you know, I'm a former athlete, and so I've done a lot of things that I think are hard. Uh, this is really hard, but I'm really, really enjoying it. It's been a lot of fun. Um, it's so expressive. And so here's what happened. I went to a friend's house and, you know, as 
humans have this tendency to do. The kids go off and play together. The two moms go off and play together. Uh, and the dad wasn't home yet. So I'm just kind of hanging out in my friend's house. And they had just bought this house. So I'm being nosy and I'm walking around. And I walk into uh, one of the kids' rooms and there's a guitar, six string guitar with a string missing. So I pick up the guitar and I just start playing. I've played one instrument, like the recorder or something like that when I was in elementary school, but I'd never played an instrument. And so I hadn't had the, the internal, that vibration feeling that I experienced when playing the guitar, like my whole body just vibrated internally. And I was like, whoa, this is really cool. So I'm learning to play the guitar. And then on the poet side, when I took the trip to Assisi, we all had a different job. We were given this list and two things sort of stood out to me. Uh, one was bard or poet. And then the other one was spiritual companion. But I knew there were people on the trip who had training in that. So I didn't feel like that would suit me very well. So I put this list in front of my friend, the same colleague who I took the walk with. And he started reading them out loud. And as he read them aloud, he read my body language. And he said, bard, the poet, that's the one that you need to do. Now, I remember writing poems in school, but it's not at all something that I've done uh, in my adult life. You know, but Alice, you talked about me being a visionary, and I, I see the world very metaphorically now. I see the world in a sort of a dreamlike state pretty often. Um, and so I'm always coming up with images, and I'm able to sort of describe those images to people who are around me. I find I'm becoming less and less capable of describing how I feel in anything other than an image. It needs to be visual in that way. Uh, so I wrote a poem in Assisi, and it's about suffering. It's about silence. It's about simplicity. And I was sort of forced into it. I must say, I like the poem. <laughs> so I wouldn't call myself a poet, but maybe I am. <laughs> I was going to say, if a marathon runner can run one marathon and be called a marathon runner, if you've written one poem, you can be called a poet. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, that feels like a really good uh, place to maybe transition into our gratitude. All right. So Alice, what are you grateful for today? Oh man, I am grateful for many, many things. I've just gone through a very challenging week emotionally. I've been super anxious, but I feel like the anxiety came from all these downloads that I have from these like just the stories that I ran into with a singer and like you know I just have all these awakenings in my conscious and subconscious and I I feel very grateful for people like you and Ron and the people who reminds me of what really of what really matters in life and to stop worrying about the things that won't matter after I die remind myself just live and choose joy in the simple things in life and so I'm also grateful for the simple things in life what are you grateful for Ron well I'm grateful for the emotions of this conversation emotions I think are what truly makes us human that truly make us beings on this earth and, and the emotions are healing, no matter how painful they are in the moment, uh, they are incredibly, incredibly healing. So I'm grateful for emotions and I'm grateful for the healing that comes through them. Well, I am grateful for both of you and feeling 
that heartfulness at multiple times throughout this conversation, you know, really a calm certainty that this is the type of work that leads to deep transformation. And this is why I think when like finds like, you can have this type of a deep connection. And I understand that not everyone is at the same place in their healing journey. So it feels really important to kind of savor the moments when it does happen. And you say, oh, this gives me a chance, like a a window into what I could create for myself and what, what I could enjoy, you know, by, by surrounding myself with these types of people. So I'm grateful to both of you for being just so open and honest and yeah, vulnerable as we kind of figure out what this whole life thing is and and what ways we can make it just the tiniest bit better. So thank you so much, Ron, for taking your time today to chat with us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you both. Well, that was my, one of my favorite conversations ever. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. You can reach us at celestialsmalltalk at gmail.com and on Instagram at celestialsmalltalk. Please listen, like, review, share, grow, learn, and love. Until next time.